Tonight's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your father and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This text is perhaps one of the most intimate in Scripture for Jesus' disciples. Up to this point in John's Gospel, Jesus has been dealing with the world's interactions and reactions to him. Now, beginning in chapter 13 and continuing through chapter 17, Jesus is exclusively focused on his disciples. In these chapters, he gives them this novum mandatum, to love one another, for which this night is named. He tells them not to be troubled because he is going away 
to prepare a place for you in chapter 14. He promises the Holy Spirit and says that he is the true vine to which they are integrally attached in chapter 15. He warns them of the world's hatred, but says their sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he prays for them. And of course, in saying all these things to them, he is saying them to us. Now, if the Synoptic Gospels tell the events of Jesus last week um, through a wide-angle lens, John draws his focus in tight, um, very close up, intimate, personal, and most of all, loving. All five chapters are, in, are compressed into a, a single evening, this Thursday, before he was crucified. And John's preface to Jesus' words and actions is summarized in the first verse that we read tonight. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The first intimate act that Jesus does in this chapter is to wash feet. John puts it in the most astoundingly ironic couple of sentences perhaps ever written. Beginning with verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his, into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, laid aside his outer garments, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Ponder that for a moment. The disconnect between those two mental images ought to astonish us. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, knowing that his time had come, and him kneeling to wash the gnarly, road-dirty feet of 12 men. All 12 men including Judas. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever experienced having your feet washed, especially by someone in your circle of friends. I have not, except for when getting a pedicure for summer, summer sandal wearing, but that's not quite the same. There are several church denominations that practice this in various ways. My husband Gordon grew up in a tradition that washed feet once a month when they also had a simple supper and communion. Our Catholic brethren have a once yearly, more symbolic enactment of this rite on Maundy Thursday. They choose 12 men representative of the church and community to have one foot each wetted and dried by the priest. Some Episcopalians likewise practice this on Monday, Thursday in a slightly different way. Well, my purpose is not to compare practices of religious traditions, but I would like you to think of your own reaction to the idea of it. Because you see, I think Peter's reaction is what mine would be, especially if a leader the pastor or an elder were to do this 
out of the blue. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. Esau Macaulay, in the Sunday school class video we just finished, relates how as a kid growing up in a foot-washing denomination, he and his buddy would make sure they arranged themselves so they could wash each other's feet. This arrangement was not made from any special piety or love between them. They just wanted to be sure they didn't get stuck washing some stinky old calloused workman's feet. So he tells how they would be sure to pre-wash and put on clean socks and just splash a little water on each other's feet. I get it, don't you? Now, traditionally, Jesus' words that I have given you an example and a servant is not greater than his master have been taken to mean that we should likewise serve one another. And that is a very good and logical understanding of this passage. It certainly means nothing less. But the focus has usually been on serving rather than receiving that service. It is clear that Peter's horror is in reaction to Jesus taking the position of the lowliest of the low servants. This was work reserved for slaves in that culture. Hosts did not do this for their guests, and rabbis certainly did not do it to their disciples. Now, the dusty roads of Palestine and the sandals perpetually worn in the first century made physical foot washing mandatory. We moderns don't have to be concerned with the physical aspects of this practice, for the most part. But I wonder if something more might be seen in this passage. And I wonder if something more is going on in my reaction to it, and perhaps yours. It feels somehow too revealing, too personal, to unveil my feet and for someone, a leader or whoever, to kneel at them in order to wash them. Esau Macaulay goes on to say that we hide from each other. And I think this begins to get at my reaction. The late author and Presbyterian minister Frederick Buechner says in his book, Telling Secrets, in these pages I tell secrets about myself because that is one way of keeping track of his life he's talking about. And because I believe that is not only more honest, but also vastly more interesting than to pretend that I have no such secrets to tell. I not only have my secrets, I am my secrets. And you are your secrets. Our secrets are human secrets, and are trusting each other enough to share them with each other has much to do with the secret of what it is to be human. It is this aspect of telling the truth about ourselves and allowing others to see 
and know the truth about ourselves that I wish to focus on here. Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And of course, Peter then asks for a whole bath. But no, that's not necessary. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And I believe Jesus is saying that the washing of repentance and cleansing from sin in his name is done once and forever through faith in him and signified in our baptisms. But the daily grime, the sin that clings so closely, in petty grievances, small untruths, family rifts that can somehow grow into chasms, spiteful words and actions, and even larger cultural indifference and prejudices. It is these that need to be washed away in our life and fellowship together. How might this be done? By confession by telling the truth to one another, admitting the hurts that we've given and received in the daily business of living in this broken world. The Apostle James writes, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Protestants have a history of objection to confessing to human mediators human priests. We say we only need to confess to God. But notice what James says. Confess to one another that you may be healed. Sin and the guilt that hangs over our heads and weighs down our hearts makes us sick. James is speaking of physical sickness here. But I believe it can also play out in emotional and relational breakdown. My sister-in-law is fond of saying that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. And indeed it does. But it keeps on giving to us in sadness, in anger, in depression, ulcers, on and on. One of the foundational principles of groups such as AA is honest admission of the truth about oneself. A person will get up and say, hi, I'm Albert, and I'm an alcoholic. And it's that first statement of personal truth that begins to break down the walls of addiction, no matter how that addiction has come and to restore health. Now, I'm not suggesting that we turn church into a venue for airing dirty linen, nor a surrogate AA meeting. But when Jesus says to Peter that if he doesn't allow his feet to be washed, he will have no part in Jesus, and that we must wash one another's feet, he is saying that to truly be a part of his body and his work in the world, we must join together in an exceptional and intimate way. We must love one another and grow bonds of mutual trust and forgiveness. This is the great mandatum 
that Jesus gives us. We read it earlier, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now I believe we here at PCKS do a pretty good job of this most of the time. There are opportunities for this kind of truth-telling that go on in small groups or in one-on-one -on -one friendships and discussions. Washing feet is, after all, a one-on-one -on -one activity, even if it's done in a community context, and trust must be built. But we are at an inflection point in both church and society there is much in today's cancel culture and our deeply divided country that pulls us apart as citizens, as a society, and even as human beings. I recently read an article about the metaverse in the online New York magazine. The subtitle of the article was Searching for Friends in Mark Zuckerberg's Deserted Fantasy Land. It tells the experience of a visiting college pre professor from Dublin, Ireland, marooned in a suburb of a New England college town, without a car and without friends to call upon. To make the best of his situation and his isolation, he decides to check out the metaverse, thinking, hmm, a whole galaxy of pals brought right to your living room. Why not? To say he was disappointed by this attempt at human online interaction would be a gross understatement. But what struck me about his description of this virtual world, represented by places and torso-only figures that look like escapees from a Lego set, was the immense loneliness of the people behind the screen images seeking some sort of relationship with people they would never actually see or touch or argue or laugh with over a beer. The anonymity, virtual hiding, evidenced in crass jibes, vulgar language, and canceling of others was said to the point of pathos. We live in a lonely world, and Jesus calls us to touch one another with his love, washing feet. Christ came into this world to make us friends, both of himself and of each other. In here, in Christ's body, we are called to be united to be one, just as Christ and his Father are one. Let us be mindful that we have been given to one another by Jesus himself to love, support, and build up. As the Apostle Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together. And let each of you speak 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In the first century, the astonishing growth of the church in a totally cruel and pagan society is mainly credited to their extraordinary love for one another and for their neighbors. The surest evidence to a hurting, sin-sick world that Jesus has died and risen again is the change he brings in his people, their unity, their love, and their welcome. May it be so for us as we wash feet together. Amen.